Hi, welcome to our Thought Leadership Interview Series. My name is Brandon Cooper. I'm the Chief Risk Officer here at Venminder. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by Lori Frank. Lori serves as the President and CEO of Argos Risk, which is the leading provider of third-party risk management services based in Minnesota. She's a nationally recognized expert in banking technology and innovation, and has spent the last 30 years helping banks to improve upon their operational efficiencies using automation. Lori has led the industry in the development and implementation of innovative software programs and tools, saving financial institutions significant money, while also minimizing risk using data insights as key performance indicators. Her career started out with 10 years in commercial banking, and she went on to lead companies such as Treve, Imaging Institute, and others. You can learn more about Lori at www.argosrisk.com. Lori, welcome to today's show. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Brandon. I really appreciate the introduction, and I'm happy to be here and to be part of your Thought Leadership Series. I can think of probably no one uh, better with uh, the level of experience that you have in, in the industry. So, you know, as CEO at Argos Risk, have you noticed any particular uh, patterns or trends in vendor monitoring? You know, over the last 12 months, we have seen a shift in the patterns and trends within different organizations. As we see increasing business reliance on third-party ecosystems, along with the forecasted market volatility that we're kind of all expecting, we're seeing risk professionals requiring a new level of third and fourth party management. You know, Forrester recently had a report and one of their comments was point in time risk assessments no longer provide enough timely, relevant data to support effective risk management efforts. So this is putting a great deal of pressure on risk professionals to ensure they're doing ongoing monitoring. And this is where tools like third party risk intelligence can enrich assessment data and internal and external analysis. So we're finding professionals are engaging more deeply with alerts that are being generated from tools such as this, where in the past they may have felt a few internet searches kept them up to date, but we now know that some of those just create a lot of noise. When you're looking at things like Google Alerts, it just isn't what you need nowadays. Things like macroeconomic policies and trends are much more important, and how will they impact your third-party relationships? So using automated tools to alert you um, to a wide variety of changes is really mandatory nowadays. You just can't stay on top of it if you're not using them. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, you mentioned a couple of very key points there. First, I mean, the OCC Bulletin 29 of 2013 really encouraged ongoing monitoring and not just that sort of point-in-time snapshot of things. Um, you know, and one of the things that we struggle with, and, and I say that having been in the banking industry for 28 years, was how best to monitor all of the activity that's going on. And Google Alerts can be overwhelming if you just take them at face value. I mean, you're trying to uh, boil down the ocean and the waves that are coming in into what what do I really need to react to and how do I need to do it? And I mean, a software solution like yours, I mean, is, is, is key to that sort of thing. So you're not, you know, just constantly scrambling and trying to put out every fire, but looking at the fires that really are are, are problematic for us. So I, I think yeah. it's, yeah, important party risk, risk management has really gained a, a, a life of its own over the past couple of years as we've seen more and more people worried about who has access to our customer data and through what portals do they have it? And so, again, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with both of those. You know, next question I have for you is, what do you see as some of the challenges that 
organizations are currently facing uh, regarding third-party risk? And I know that builds a little bit on our prior question. Sure. I mean, some of the most critical challenges is setting the right mindset in treating third-party risk management as a strategic imperative. You know, think of all the third-party suppliers, vendors, customers who make a business possible. Why wouldn't you put that responsibility of the management of the risk associated with these entities at your highest level? Yet we still see some organizations as it is not. You know, so the second biggest challenge with not making it imperative, but also the underfunding of risk mitigation efforts. You know, as we sit here and talk and we speak, there are overloaded managers who are trying to keep up with their ever-increasing regulatory burdens using blood, sweat, and Excel spreadsheets. And it's just unrealistic in today's environment. I mean, a good example is we just recently had a prospect tell us that they were so underfunded and understaffed that they had lost millions of dollars as a result. Right under their nose, an employee had set up multiple vendors with no review process, no documentation, and had started funneling money to those vendors who had underworld connections. He apparently had gotten himself into some trouble with some addiction-related debt. He needed a way to pay it back quickly, and that's what he came up with. If the company had been more funded, had better practices in place, that would have never happened. But I'll tell you, being an ex-auditor, you would be shocked at the things that I have seen happen in organizations. And finally, the most common challenge is understanding the information that, that organizations are collecting. You know, we hear from examiners that they will walk into an organization, ask for all of the documentation, the standards, and they'll be handed a stack of information. And when they look at the employee and say, well, what does all this mean to you? They kind of get a blank stare. I mean, you really need to have well-prepared documents, risk scores, classifications, in-depth risk assessments. You need to be able to understand SOC reports and SASC 16s, the financial, reputational information. Knowledge breeds confidence, and it's extremely difficult to have confidence in a third party if you don't have the knowledge to understand the information. And that's where relying on experts like yourself, ourself. I mean, it's so important for organizations to know we're here to support them. And you, you raised a tremendous number of great points there. And I, I have had a couple of horror stories just like you're, you're recounting where, you know, the, the auditor or, excuse me, the compliance officer in their, best, uh, in their best intentions just does a document dump on the auditor or the examiner and says, here, here it all is, and it's all put together. But as soon as you start pulling the thread, it all falls apart. Nobody knows what's in there. Nobody understands what's been done to vet this organization, or you've got organizations that have come on board without anybody realizing they're there and without no formal approval process. And I always tell people, you know, as, as, a, as having been through many audits and not as an auditor, um, that really the best way to do it is to have a very professional set of documentation and make sure you've got consistency and professionalism and all that you're presenting to them. So that you don't leave those loose threads. You don't leave these things where people can say, well, who told what, when, and how did this really happen? And you don't get that deer in the headlights look that you so <laughs> well described a moment ago, where it's the first time they've ever heard this question being asked them. So, yeah, I think, I think you, really, you really nailed that. I mean, that, that truly is a, a lot of the challenges that we see dealing not only with small organizations, but surprising with some very large ones where third-party risk gets shoved to the back burner because the compliance officer has so many other things going on 
or it's just buried among the various tasks that an IT department has to do. And if, if it's that way, I mean, you're, you're not going to give it the due diligence and the ongoing monitoring that it needs. Exactly. And shifting gears, I mean, let's think about it a different way. I mean, can you share any best practices you recommend organizations should implement to assist with their ongoing uh, vendor monitoring? I mean, obviously, uh, products like yours. Sure. I, you know, I think it's important to focus on quality and not quantity. Like you said, collecting documents doesn't mean that you're really doing due diligence. You need to make sure that the information you're receiving is pertinent to what you're analyzing. Does it include the material changes and events that are happening with such as ongoing monitoring? Also, you need concise data. You, know, you need to get directly to the point of what you're trying to analyze. You know, ideally, you should have alerts coming on a regular basis, if not daily, but you don't need them coming numerous times a day. You just need to know what the pertinent key facts are for you to be able to make decisions. So you need to ensure that ongoing information is being received from also trusted, vetted sources. I, it horrifies me when I hear organizations relying on crowdsourced information or self-reported. You know, that can lack accuracy and truth. I mean, anybody can adjust their own information to send it in. I mean, you have to have that third-party verification. You know, in addition, it needs to be very timely. That pace of today's world does not allow for gaps in information. Yep, no doubt. And it's funny because I subscribe, as, as you might imagine, and, and we recap news each week, uh, but I subscribe to uh, various documents or various organizations. And I counted it just the other day when I got off the plane flight coming home that I had 72 different news alerts that came in in the course of a five-hour plane flight. What are you supposed to do with that? I mean, you can't really react and say, okay, each of these is a problem or each of these is, is minor, but you have to read them at least to, to take a look at them. So I totally agree with you. I mean, any, any way of, you know, kind of rank ordering them or saying these are the things you really need to be paying attention to at this moment are incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely. So let me shift gears yet again a little bit, and you'll have a unique perspective on this versus some of the people that we deal with who work in a bank or you know have provided services to a bank. As a um, you know, as far as consumer complaints are concerned, what do you recommend organizations do to have a strong complaint management system? Well, I think it's important that you know registered complaints such as the CFPB or complaint boards, I mean, those are key to a vendor's reputation and credibility in the industry. So you really have to be able to analyze those behavioral trends to see what does that mean to you? What kind of follow-up analysis needs to be done and what potential long-term effects is that going to have? You know, such as how is this going to impact the vi financial viability of ourselves, our vendors? How is it going to affect product support? But in turn, you can't assume that some of those complaints are valid. So it's important to identify what the complaints are, test that impact on your own organization's performance, if they are valid or not, and then take action based on that. Too many people either set those complaints aside or there's so many of them, they just they don't pay a lot of attention. But it is important to know whether you need to take action. Do you need, if a vendor is getting a lot of complaints, do you need to identify a backup vendor? or replace them altogether. You know, in a large scale, I mean, imagine being dependent on Boeing Airlines right now. Sure. Or look at, you know, look at what happened to Kirby Vacuum Distributors after Hurricane Katrina. They couldn't fulfill orders for months, causing millions of dollars in loss. 
So sure, they had thousands and thousands of concerns and complaints out there, but risk comes from all angles, even geographic. So well, you have you have to analyze those complaints. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I live in the uh, northeast area, and, and we always consider ourselves somewhat immune from um, you know huge natural disasters. But then when Hurricane Sandy hit, or Superstorm okay. Sandy, Sandy hit, and all of a sudden you know major processors were out of business for a while, we learned our lesson at that point. On a similar scale, I mean, I always think of things like the uh, Unirush problem where you've got a bunch of prepaid card holders who have loaded their funds onto a prepaid card but can't access them, access them because of a processor botched conversion. I mean, those, those are real problems. The thing I always think is you need to be able to sort through what is, you know, an ice cube and what is an iceberg and figure out how to, work, how to answer both of them, but answer both of them proportionally. I mean, if it's a small problem take it offline and handle it. If it's a large problem, you know, address it with scale. Address it with, you know, here's how we're going to make things right for the customers, reassure them, and then follow through. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with I, I totally agree with you. And, and it's interesting because when hindsight is 2020. When you look back and you, you look at some of the big um, problems that have, that have happened over the past few years, you, you say to yourselves, well, how do they let this happen? Were they asleep at the wheel? No, because... Generally, it's they underestimated the volume of the problem. So if you have a good complaint management system and a good strategy for it, you know how to work through what's a big problem and what's a small problem and not overreact or underreact, hopefully too much. Yeah, excellent point. And it seems like, you know, from my experience with Argus Risk, you are always staying on top of enhancing the product suite in an effort to meet all the evolving regulatory requirements. Given your close watch on some of the industry changes, do you see uh, the ongoing vendor monitoring requirements becoming even more stringent as time goes on, as you mentioned earlier? And if so, why? Well, we do. You know, we work in over 30 industries. And so because of that, we have a, a broad view of vendor management. And when you look at things that become standard practice in one industry, it's quite often it bleeds over into another. For example, insurance companies. They're adopting the same level of due diligence practices and vendor management as financial institutions. Well, why is that? Because the financial institutions are demanding that they manage their third-party risk in the same way they are. If, you know, again, those relationships, those fourth parties. So same holds true in healthcare and in other supporting industries. So your best practice originates from other industries will increase the demand all across the board. You know, we have to remember that regulators watch the news just like the rest of us. So every time they see a story about a breach or a disruption in a vendor's service, they're saying, how do we keep this from happening again? So they continue to increase the requirements and suggested enhancing in the measures. I really worry about those financial institutions who have long periods between their vendor management exams. It can become so easy to be complacent you don't have the automated tools and the support services in place to alert you to things that are happening. I mean, imagine everything that happens in 18 months in your life. Think about your own company, everything that happens. Oh, sure. And you know, it's funny because I spent the first 18 years of my career at a company called MBNA America, and we were famous for having these quotes on the walls like, uh, think of yourself as a customer, et cetera, et cetera. One of my favorite ones, though, was complacency is devastating. And that really comes into play in vendor management because if you allow yourself just to think everything's okay because it's always been okay with this vendor, you could really lull yourself into a false sense of security. And 
I really did worry when they introduced earlier this year the joint resolution, or last year rather, uh, the joint resolution to extend the exam cycle for well-managed institutions under $3 right. billion from 12 months to 18 months. There's a lot that can happen in that extra six months or just this idea that the board thinks, okay, everything's great. We had a great exam last time. We've got a year and a half till we have to worry about it again. As a former third-party risk manager in a bank or as a former compliance officer, there's a lot that happens day-to-day that needs to happen. You don't think about the exam necessarily as being your only report card. What you need to think about is what could happen today or tomorrow that could impact us. Your, your board can lose, uh, you know, a little bit of the urge, sense of urgency because they're thinking, okay, we've got 18 months until they check on the scan. But unfortunately, just as you said, in your own personal life, what's happened in the past 18 months that's impacted you and changed your future? Well, yeah. think of it as an institution. What's happened in your institution in the past 12 and 18 months period that's going to change how you handle things in the future? Well, and we also tell our, you know, our clients, keep in mind that alerts are not always negative. They're positive. You know, companies grow. They change management. They become more successful. That allows you to have a stronger, broader relationship with them. So, you know, we have to always think alerts, it's just news. So how does that news impact us both positively and negatively? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. And there are a lot of times where I, w- I would use my alerts that I would get in, even when I was in banking to, you know, send a quick note of congratulations to, you know, somebody who got promoted or to an organizational change or saying, you know, this sounds exciting that you're launching this new product or service, you know, please let us know if we can be a part of it. And so I totally agree with you. I mean, you you need to look at all alerts, not just look for the, don't just look for the glasses shattered on the floor approach. (laughs) Yeah. Glass half full or or even better. (laughs) You know, one final question for you, and, and I'd welcome any comments you want to make afterwards as well, but um, with all the changes in leadership of the prudential regulators, what do you see for the rest of the year from a regulatory compliance perspective? And what, what, what concerns or challenges do you see coming out? You know, that's that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? I mean, no one ever knows exactly what the prudential regulators are going to do. But I think with the fast-approaching election year and some of the recent amendments, you know, I'm certainly seeing a shift from viewing vendor management as just reputational risk, but to also establishing pure hard ratings. How are you establishing those ratings? And looking at the financial risk and the business viability of all of the vendors. You know, this has kind of led to a focus on having more consistent standards in place. And it's an important shift that I see happening with the regulators that they're focusing more, they're moving from deposit requirements and the financial viability of the FI to now including all of those factors in the financial viability of the vendors as well. So again, I think we're going to continue to see more requirements, more uh, scrutiny at the level of the daily functioning of this responsibility. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's funny because I think a lot of people got lulled into this false sense of security since there wasn't a lot of uh, regulatory enforcement activity early on. Uh, in the past year, year and a half now, there weren't a lot of uh, portions of new guidance uh, issued other than, you know, some of the major rules around customer due diligence, enhanced due diligence going into place, and the upcoming prepaid rule. But otherwise, I mean, there just wasn't all this noise around things. But at the same time, you still have all these cybersecurity hacks that happen. You still have all these enforcement actions of, of larger size going on, and you still have this genuine and general pervasive sense 
complaints database for more things. So I don't think it's necessarily looking for the next big regulatory uh, guidance or the next big law that's issued, but rather it's sort of, you know, the vigilance has increased. And the vigilance has increased because of cybersecurity threats. The vigilance has increased because we all know that people are trying to constantly, you know, break into the banking system and find ways to defraud customers. You've got people, hackers literally making a living out of trying to figure out ways of outflanking us. So I do think even if the regulatory scrutiny seems to have somehow waned, and I, and I don't think it has, truly, um, that the, the threats are still out there. We did a survey at the end of last year. We do an industry survey each year, actually. But one last year, we asked about, you know, do you see uh, regulatory scrutiny increasing or decreasing? And only 2% of respondents said they felt that the regulatory uh, focus had decreased. So that tells me, you know, for the vast majority of institutions, regardless of size, this continues to be a really, really hot topic around third-party risk management and cybersecurity. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. So any final thoughts before we wrap up? I just think that, as you said, the world continues to get scarier and the access to more information is available. Utilize it. Find where you can get the best information. Manage as well as you can. And, you know, that accuracy and timeliness of information is critical. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Laurie. I really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate the time today. I know we went a little bit longer than we typically do, but I feel like we got a lot of great information out there today. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in, and we look forward to uh, future interviews in this series. So thanks very much, everyone.